0: I'm here with Paul Cottrell. He is back for the second time, and we are happy to take some questions. We're going to do a bit of a free form. I guess it's going to be kind of like a group discussion of uh, everything that's uh, been going on with regards to coronavirus. And uh, I will say that Dr. Cottrell, not a medical doctor, just want to remind everyone about that. I I went through your entire (laughs) CV at the beginning of the show, and people are like, well, yeah, he's not a real doctor. It's like, that's right. He's the fake kind, he's the hand puppet kind, he's not the real doctor. Uh, so just for those of you who don't know, uh, Dr. Cottrell is a researcher in chaos theory and has interest in modeling financial markets. I consider him a polymath, um, although I had to look it up, just kidding. Okay, so he's born in Detroit, he has uh, done engineering and design, he did automotive engineering, he trades in the markets and he's at Harvard University as an ALM candidate specializing in biology he has completed the pre-medical program at Fordham University, and so, uh, hello, <laughs> Paul. It's great to great hello. to have you back on the show. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. So we're going to do a little free form here, just chatting back and forth, and then, of course, what we're going to do is uh, take some questions from the audience. And wait, did you get more monitors?
1: No, I've I've had uh, I've had eight. Okay. Okay, so there's not more, right? This is it? This is it. Plus, right, a laptop, right.
0: plus a laptop. <laughs> right. All, all I have behind me is decaying radioactive material. So um, <laughs> that's what happened to my hair. <laughs> all right. So uh, we'll let people gather in and uh, let's just get started with, I mean, it's been, a, what, about a week, week and a half since we last talked, Paul. How has this pandemic been playing out, been playing out according to your expectations and estimations?
1: Right. It's, it's, it is getting worse in the more condensed areas in the United States. It's getting worse in Western, uh, civilizations, you know, like Europe, (laughs) um, it it is following the pattern. I am concerned, like I said uh, on your show last week about, uh, in the United States individuals, uh, contracting COVID-19 disease, about 165 million in 20 months. Now there were some assumptions with that. One assumption was that uh, chloroquine or remdesphere or some other therapeutic wasn't available to dampen the curve. Another was that the social distancing would not work and that a secondary and a tertiary wave would be as strong as the primary wave over a 18 to 20 month period. So those are some broad assumptions. Now, if the secondary and tertiary waves are attenuated, or we do have a therapeutic, or the social distancing works, then we'll have less cases, less death. But I would say worst case is what I I mentioned over that 20-month period. So uh, we have we are, see- the
0: relationship between cases and deaths, I just really wanted to sort of go over that for the audience as a whole. They're not directly correlated depending on how the curve is flat. So the, the steeper the climb, the more deaths there will be because the medical system gets overwhelmed. I mean, there will be other reasons as well, but the, the major one, which we've talked about, is the, the steeper the curve, you know, it's sort of like um, you can take a loud sound, you just can't take a sonic boom next to your ear. You know, you, you can handle a bunch of smaller waves if you're standing at the edge of the ocean, but you can't handle a tsunami, right? So this is really what we talked about. Flatten the curve, it gives, I mean, two, two major things, right? One is that it gives us a chance to ramp up our medical response to the situation, and number two, it buys time for a possible therapeutic, as you say, or maybe a vaccine, or maybe some sort of magic ball cure. Although, I mean, there has seemed to be some therapies that are, are quite effective, but, you know, you can't just pull them out of your butt, right? It takes a, quite a while to get your manufacturing up to speed with that
1: stuff. Exactly. There is some, uh, there's some light that, or, or green shoots, if you want to use, you know, an analogy in finance, um, out there. Uh, chloroquine, uh, is it, it's, for certain people, it will work. And if it's applied early, Um. Remdesivir seems to be moving along in its clinical trial. We don't know the the state of the of the vaccine yet. I mean, that's pretty pretty new right now, so we don't know how that's going with the the clinical trial. The social distancing for certain areas of the country seem to be working. Uh, in New York, it's not. Uh, you know, we've been quarantined for now uh, about most people have been self-quarantining for two weeks now. And we still are having a a pretty steep curve. Governor Cuomo has, you know, has stated uh, multiple times uh, with daily briefings that the primary system, you know, the hospitals are being overloaded. And now we have to have a secondary um, um, operation that's at the Javits Center, and other conventional centers in the five boroughs. So we already have over 20,000 cases in New York, and we have the most deaths. We had the last I looked was 365. So we're probably a little bit more than that as we're recording this, but or live streaming this. But um, we already are at about 97,000 cases in the United States. All right. We're going to hit by by the end of tonight, we're going to hit over hundred thousand. Right. So this is, and as you were talking about exponential curves and, and people not understanding ex- exponential um, uh, systems, you know, this is, this is going to continue to grow before it starts to decline. And this is why it's so important. I was watching Steve Bannon's show. He has a, a show. It's actually pretty good uh, called war room uh, pandemic. And he has guests on, and, and uh, you know he's taken it from different pillars also, as, as as on my show too. But what he said today, I thought was really important. It, it it it's to the spirit of of Americans. And he said, "Don't flatten the curve, smash the curve. We need to be more aggressive in in stopping this because if we just try to have manage manage the curve or manage decline." You know, a lot of people have heard that term in terms of moving jobs overseas, you know, managed decline to, to, to Asia in terms of economics. If we just hadn't managed the curve, we're going to actually extend this out farther in terms of the, the pandemic and also the economic damage. But if you smash it, if the pain is acute at the very beginning, what I call the 40 days and 40 nights, then the economic damage will be less and the chances of having a more um a a, a steeper secondary and and tertiary wave will be reduced but i think a lot of people they're they're getting they're getting antsy they want to go outside they're getting you know they're just like i can't stand it anymore and i get it it's it's tough but it's going to be worse if you if we don't stay quarantined don't if we're not in shelter in place, we're gonna extend this problem out. And people need to be aware of that, that, of that and the importance of trying to smash the curve or, or dampening the curve. Well, this is something, philosophically speaking,
0: this is a very, very powerful moment in the West because we've been living on this drunken delirium of infinite resources. You could really say since the Federal Reserve, but certainly since the end of the Second World War, we've been living on this fantasy that we don't have to make compromises. That we can just have everything uh, and the kitchen sink, that there isn't any need to balance things. Now, of course, a foundational principle of economics is all human desires are infinite, all resources are finite. So, we've had this funny situation where people have gotten so used to uh, politicians being able to promise everything we can have a welfare and a warfare state, and we're not going to raise your taxes enormously because it's all done through debt. Now it's like a toddler, you know, like so, when, <laughs> like a silly little family story, right? So, uh, I took my daughter to a museum. Um, many years ago she was like a three or four right and there was one of these 19th century drawing rooms but it was behind glass and there was a little rocking horse in the room and she wanted to go see the rocking horse right and she you know she started toddling or trotting towards it and I said whoa 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 and but she didn't listen and she ran into this glass it didn't really do any harm or anything like that but it really startled her and that moment of like whoa, whoa wh- where's our magic wand what do you mean we have to make compromises? What do you mean there's a balance between economic productivity and the spread of, like, why do we have to make tough decisions? And this, seeing everybody kind of reconfigure their mental attitude to this reality, there is no solution. We can balance our priorities. We can say, okay, well, we'll allow a certain amount of infection and we'll gain a certain amount of economic activity. Or we dial down the infection, we dial down the economic activity, which itself has life costs and problem costs and all, all sorts of issues and stresses and so on. And so to me, it's like this very strange wake up to reality that we're out of the psychotic delirium where no tough choices need to be made. Like, what was it? I think it was Cuomo who was saying, we never put a price on human life. What a load of crap. That is absolutely not true. Have you never heard of insurance or the fact that we, we limit um, speed on highways to, what, 70? Sixty-five miles an hour, whatever. Yeah, you didn't. But you bring that down to five miles an hour, you save thirty-five thousand deaths every year in the U.S. But we, you know, then you cause more deaths because it takes forever to get goods everywhere. So, sorry for this long rant, but I've really been sort of mulling over that stuff I've been yelling at, that has been kind of drugged out of people's minds by by debt and manipulation and crushed down interest rates and all of that and money printing. It's like, oh, we're just we have no spine for tough decisions, and that's kind of a weird thing when when we at least those of us who've known this is coming at least in one form or another, have been warning about people for years.
1: You know, it, it, it dovetails into the phrase that Tom Brokoff said a while back um, it's a, several years ago, when he wrote his book, The Greatest Generation, about the sacrifice um, that our grandparents made during World War II. I don't see the same backbone in, 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 uh, in the, 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 the contemporary generation in North America. Uh they don't they they don't have the same the, the same backbone that it is. So, uh but hopefully going through this it will act, actually toughen us up and maybe something positive will come out of this that that this um this uh egoism, this self-centeredness uh will start to erode and will be a, a stronger people being able to withstand and, 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 and take responsibility, like you, you, know, you, you, you had a, a recent publication about taking responsibility. You know People need it to realize that we're in it together. We need to help each other, help our neighbors, but we also have to take individual responsibility. And uh, if everyone did that, there would be a Nash equilibrium that takes place and the whole society rises up to the occasion. We can do this. We've done it before, but you know, it's just contemporarily we're used to this hit a button and you immediately get something, you know,
0: well, politicians, this is take yeah, some politicians
1: can't sort of budge
0: their way out of this one because this is basic biological reality and I'll try not to get all kinds of ranty and, and get all this foam <laughs> on the screen or anything like that, Paul, but Good Lord, the people who are comparing this to World War II, oh my God, like i you know, with all due sympathy for the people who are sick and the people who are dying, of course, right? But you go to some guy in 1939 in the UK or 1941 in America and say, okay, here's your choices, man. You get drafted, you get shipped overseas with very little battleground medicine with you know very little cures for some of the various diseases you're going to get uh, in Indonesia or wherever you know whatever Bataan Death March you're going to be stuck on, facing an enemy that is relentlessly cruel and will use you if you're Australian to test their various horrible weapons, and you'll barely get any sleep and you'll re- face constant risk of death and uh, mutilation for the rest of your life. That's your one option. Oh, or oh, the other option is you can stay home, play some Xbox, and pick up twelve hundred bucks a month for free. I mean, good <laughs> lord! I mean, this this. Oh, don't even get me, because I'm starting to sound like my granddad, you know, like pipe <laughs> <high laughs> pants, short suspenders, whittling on the back porch, yelling at the kids to get off his lawn, and I mean, he's going to uh-huh. keep their ball next time it goes over the fence. But Paul, kids these days, you know, like, I'm sorry. I know, I know. Uh, maybe it's uh-huh. because I was raised by a generation that went through World War II, and I knew all of these stories and these realities, but, uh, right. you know, people got to recognize, man, you you're, you're made of stronger stuff than you think. Right.
1: No, I totally agree. I much rather have just looking at it from a, a pandemic to pandemic comparison. I much rather be in today's situation with today's medicine and the technologies that we have to be able to communicate and and, and talk in real time than let's say in 1918 when they yeah. had the Spanish flu. So we're in a better situation, actually, today. It, it's bad, but we have technologies and we can communicate. And really get a better idea of what's happening in real time than than a hundred years ago. Um, but I'll take this what what we're you know being barricade in, in New York <laughs> right now. I'd take this than storm in Normandy um, any day. But uh, but uh, you know but there is something to be said about the 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 character and the backbone of that of that greatest generation as Tom Brokaw you know. Uh, coin the phrase but you mean um, but we can
0: learn relatively
1: hedonistic boomers yeah okay right 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 exactly you know but but um it's it's to it's to learn something from it what can we take from that you know they, they are dying off there's not that many left um but there's something to be learned from that spirit of persevering through hardship we can learn from that and on the other side of this, on the other side of, of, of the epidemiological curve, there's going to be sunshine, and we can, we can be better, we can be better off this way, but we have to work together and we have to make sure that the powers that be, whoever they are, aren't taking advantage of the situation and eroding our civil liberties. Well,
0: you, sorry to laugh because it's not funny, but you speak about that like it's some sort of future occurrence. And you can well, see, right now. <laughs> you can see this, these these tentacles of power reaching out from the scurvy foreheads of the golem-like power-hungry politicians at every single moment. It's so I bizarre. Know. It's like we're in a building, the foundation is cracking, the walls are creaking, and people are like, "Hey, man, what can I get from the? Oh, I'm going to root through the the the. I'm going to root through the drawers and see if anybody left any money behind. And they're just grabbing for all of this stuff right away. And it's it's absolutely repulsive. Boy, you know, you see that mask coming off. This, right. the Crypt Keeper face it, of hungry it, power, the vampires in charge, and you've got governors ordering doctors not to provide life-saving medications to people. And, and you have people calling, of course, for the UN to temporarily adopt one-world government policies to deal with this. Yeah, no, I remember, I remember, Paul, back in 1917, not directly, of course, not quite that old, <laughs> despite what some of my listeners <laughs> believe. I remember back in 1917, uh, in Canada, uh, income tax, was, uh, was introduced, you see, as a temporary measure. And of course, there's nothing right. more temporary. You want to make something eternal? You want to make something infinite, at least until mathematics collides with money printing? Just make it a government program. So that is really staggering on, on two sides. One, you've never seen this much discrediting of mainstream organizations from the media to the World Health Organization to many governors to, I mean, just na- academics and so on. You've never seen this much discrediting at the same time as you've
1: never seen this
0: much of a power grab.
1: That's very true. And just recently when they were trying to pass that bill in Congress, Nancy Pelosi had written in the bill that parts of it were struck struck down before it went uh, for passage, decashing in a digital dollar. And the, and, the, and the mechanism was, well, this was gonna be the quicker way to reach people instead of sh- issuing checks. All right. And many people do direct deposit through, through uh, the IRS. So they already have a connection to our banks. So you didn't need the digital dollar. So, but some people don't do that, but, but they were taking this as an opportunity to decash, which, you know, as you know, I mean, leads to a whole set of new new tyranny (laughs) that uh, that that's very dangerous. Now, my concern is, is that it'll pop up in another bill. See, in the United States and in Canada, you know, just because you knock down the bill doesn't mean it starts to rear itself up again later down the road because they're probably going to need one or two more stimulus packages while this happens. And if people start to fall asleep or they start to feel more and more pain and their cortisol levels continue to rise, they're going to say, just give me something, government. I don't care what it is. Just give it to me and let the pain go away. And that's the concern I have with what I call the BioPatriot Act, where they're going to take this event and and erode more of our civil liberties. Well, You've
0: probably seen this. You've got Bill Gates in an Ask Me Anything talking about implanted chips to show that we've got some kind of... I, I'm sort of off the top of my brain. So if, if people in the audience, the so people who are on... YouTube, if you know this better than I do, I just read this in passing. So if you have more details, feel free to break them out. But, you know, people are people are spitballing, half cyborging us in
1: the name of public health. And it's like that's got to be a hell no from anybody with half a spine. I saw a one hour discussion with one of the um, um, presenters, organizers for TEDx. He was interviewing Bill Gates and it was about for an hour. And he was talking about his foundation and how they were speeding up test kits, where the the thought was it would be self-test. They would issue them out. It would protect the healthcare workers because it's self-test. And um, the results wouldn't be shipped, but would actually be um, displayed, similar to a pregnancy kit. And uh, it would determine if you're positive for COVID-19 or not. I like the idea, um, but he did mention in that in that interview where you wouldn't be able to go back to work until you know you have papers that prove that you're you're you negative for COVID-19. So it leads us into that discussion of of social scoring if you don't meet certain criteria you can't get a job this is this is dangerous
0: well of course they're going to start
1: it with a pandemic where people are like well sure
0: i don't want to be around somebody coughing uh half snickers through their nose in the next cubicle they're going to start it with something that's because what they always do right they started deplatforming with andrew Anglin of the daily stormer who no decent person liked and it's like well he's so unlikable i don't want to stand on principle with that guy right and so they're going to start with someone where they say, well, you don't want to get sick, right? So we got to put these rules in. And then, you know, come on, we all know how this plays. They it was Something that you'll accept, these rules, It this a slippery slope argument. It's not even an argument anymore. It's like saying, does a rock roll down a hill that's at 80 degrees? Well, of course it does, right? So what they're going to do is they're going to start with coronavirus, and then it's going to be other things. Then it's going to be, did you get your flu shot? Did you get your vaccinations? Have you had your teeth checked? Did you bathe this morning? Did you use Listerine? And then it's going to be, oh, you know, well, you posted the stuff that's highly offensive to certain groups in society. I'm sorry now, you can't participate in the economic reality of your entire environment and we're kicking you back to the Stone Age without even the benefit of anybody on your side. And uh, the saber-toothed tigers of ostracism are just going to take you down. And that, to me, is the big danger. is that people will, in a panic, as you say, they will accept curtailments of liberties for the sake of the greater good, those curtailments of liberties, boy, uh, you know, uh, the question is then, do you see a
1: few more people die, or do you see everyone's liberties die? Mm-hmm. And, you know, <laughs> the example is the Red Book from Mao, and how the whole society fouled it, you know, and they were cheering with, you know, and there's pictures that you can see on the internet, and I'm holding the Red Book. And uh, I, it's it's scary. It really is. It, but hopefully, and I've been trying to promote it, and it's very hard, but trying to promote this idea of get engaged and, and tell your representatives that you're awake and that you, you don't want the decaching, You don't want the erosion of the civil liberties. You don't want forced vaccinations. You want a more open society. You don't want the the police officers. And this, this came up on Glenn Beck's show uh, two days ago. Canada and the United States has um, um, uh, a lot of manufacturers or has two major manufacturers of drones, and the police officers in Canada and in the United States are ordering these drones. Now, why do the police officers need these drones? If this is going to be somewhat a short-term thing, no, it's going to be a never-ending drone program that they'll expand over time, and it was beta tested. In New York City during New Year's Eve, they use drones to 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 surveil Times Square. So I, it's just like people just need to wake up and say, no, our police officers yes need to be supported, and they need resources, but they they shouldn't be armed like the military, you know. They shouldn't have tanks, and they shouldn't have you know air you know, air defense weapons, you know? <laughs> you know, you know well, no, you but know. to so be fair, just... it
0: is an airborne virus, and I'm fairly you know, I... sure that a sniper bullet from a drone will will take it out on its path to whoever is disobeying the local social rules. Yeah. Now, so, okay, let's let's tinfoil it up for a second. And I say that knowing that that's a pre- prejudicial phase and also while I'm touching my face. But anyway, um, let's... It's okay, I haven't left the house. So, So unless it's burrowing in through termite holes, I think I'm okay. So I've heard... These stories online. I have not dug into them in great depth, and I apologize for putting you on the spot. If you haven't either, we can just move on. But uh it seems like there was quite a rehearsal for a global pandemic that was going on last year, not too long before the Wuhan virus, the CCP virus, exactly. got out. Have you
1: dug into that at all? Have you have you yeah. heard about that? What have you What have yeah. you heard? Okay. So I, there is an, uh, a simulation. All right. That took place on October 18th. And it was run by Bill Gates foundation. It was called event two zero one. Man. I thought okay. windows was a virus. Okay. Go on. No, all right, So event two zero one. Now there's a backstory to it. About four or five years ago on, on Ted talks, Bill Gates was promoting the idea of doing more and more pandemic simulations. Okay, but Event Two Zero One happens. It was I don't know. I think about ten hours long, something like that. Five hours long. I only saw. There's two videos. There's the the full, the the full uh, movie, if you want to call it a movie or a simulation. I saw the fifteen minute, um, Cliff Note version, right. And they basically had a panel of experts, quote experts, all right, and military personnel and and CEOs from, you know, important companies, kind of like almost like a Bilderberg kind of situation. And um, they said, well, there's going to be a coronavirus in the world and it's, you know, going to start to affect the economy. What do we do? And they're playing the simulation out. Kind of like Dungeons and Dragons, if anyone's played Dungeons and Dragons or something. No, some nev- know, never heard of game, it myself. Paul, like, <laughs> yeah. come on, that would be way too nerdy <laughs> for me. Yeah, I actually was a Dungeon Monster. So, yeah, <laughs> so, you know, when we were kids, we, you know, played it a lot. So, but, uh, but something like that, where you do this role play and uh, they, they had they, a lot of things that they were suggesting in the simulation uh, were happening today. And they suggested about 65 million worldwide would die from 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 this. And it was a coronavirus. And that was in October of 18, 2019.
0: Now, that's a and month. First, to me, co-
1: that's a month before
0: this thing kicked off its uh, merry-go-round. Exactly. Around. Exactly.
1: Exactly. So
0: we're going to put that in the one of the odds category. You know, like what are the odds, I, you know, like right. are the odds <laughs> that people who eat bats not coronavirus, even when Wuhan is 600 miles from the local bat colony, although it does happen to be the home of China's only level four biocontainment facility. Like what are the odds? You know, I mean, exactly. what are the odds that they do a pandemic exercise or simulation with 65 million deaths one month before the category of virus that they talk about actually gets released? Now, To be fair, like in the movie Pandemic, they talk about a coronavirus. There's a Dean Kuntz novel from the early 80s that talks about coronavirus. So it is a fairly big and easily spreadable category of viruses, common cold all the way through to COVID-19. But nonetheless, it is one of these things that does make you go, hmm. Now, I try not to get sucked down these rabbit holes because what happens is you're never going to get the facts. Like, like whoever knows these facts has either had their mouth sewn up or they've been tossed into an incinerator or they were Jeffrey Epstein's cellmate or something like that. Right. So you're just not going to find out the facts, but it certainly does make you go, hmm, that seems like
1: more than something you would bet a lot of money on. right. I, you know, I, I, uh, it's fishy, definitely fishy. And when you look at the research, if you're like, if you're diving into like how this was engineered and you can see it in the research papers as they were moving on and, and, uh, building up what they call pseudoviruses. Uh, I have a paper actually on my website that talks about them building up the h- HIV homology with the uh, coronavirus to show how, how it was infecting ACE2 receptor, human h 2 receptors, and not infecting the ACE2 receptors in the bat. So it could be, the bat could be the, the, the host. Okay. And the, the paper, the research paper, is on my website. And it was, it, it, what he, uh, the, the one of the authors of the paper is one of the key builders of this virus that I, I proposed. And his name is Dr. Piang Zhao. And um, what is really interesting that kind of dovetails into kind of a, the conspiracy of what's going on is there may be a cover up from the leak from P4 and how I can, th- oh, the sorry, reason why I say that. Th- there is a cover up, uh, no matter what. I'm
0: sorry, I'm, I'm putting my <laughs> reputation for such okay, as it is right. on the well, line. I, so I, you I'm know, I appreciate not... that you're a mathematician and you, you wanna put your hedge bets in. Uh, I, I have a history degree, right. so I I'll, can go I'll all go in. all in. That's the dividing right, line, all you're a very right, caveat, right, and I, for once, I'm not putting
1: caveats in. Go on. Okay, I'll go all in, all right? And this is what I'm saying. I'm saying that there was a bioengineered virus, okay? And there was another virus that bifurcated in the lab they, that, that was a black operation. And it happened in, in 2015. So there was two line, bio bioengineered lines, one for weapons and one for science. Okay? And I think that the Wuhan virus is the bioweapon right. that leaked out. And the, the RATG13 was the scientific line. And right. And, and, and the Chinese are trying to cover it up because what happened in the NIH database for the sequencing is the RATG13 did not exist in the NIH database when I ran it on January 25th, the 27th, and early February when I was looking at the genomes to, to understand the HIV homology and how this thing was being built. Then on February 24th, the genome pops up for RATG13. The 13 means that it was discovered in 2013. Well, where was it in the genome database the last seven years? Mm. That's why I, I, I say that it was a, a, it, it was a hidden program. And then, and then to, to, to make even things worse, they've updated the database where it's now saying March 24th. So they did something to the record what they changed, I don't know. It, it may not be anything with the actual genome sequence. It could have been annotations of the record, you know, dealing with, uh, with uh, professors that were involved or uh, different proteins that were added that were sequenced because they also sequenced proteins, not just the, the genome. But there's something fishy because that genome just popped up this year. So a friend yeah, of mine, they, they were referencing that genome way back, you know, you know, saying that, it, that, that it was in research a long time ago. So there's a coverup and, and, and Piang Zhao in these new publications that are popping up in 2020 saying that this is zoonotic, he, his name keeps on popping up on these, on, on these articles, but he's the one that's on the article that was, that was published in 2008. That's on my website that proves that he's the one that put the HIV in the coronavirus.
0: Yeah, so a friend of mine uh, who is well-versed in this material, uh, I, I won't sort of give out his name, but he's in a debate about the origin of this mm-hmm. SARS-CoV-2, right? Mm-hmm. And so the mm-hmm. prox- from nature.com, there's an article called The Proximal Origin of SARS-CoV-2 that people are always quoting as a pushback against the idea that it's engineered. And he quotes from this, and he says, thus the high affinity binding of the SARS-CoV-2 spike protein to human ACE2 receptors, is what you and I talked about at the beginning, what you talked about really, and I just tried to follow along, is most likely the result of natural selection on a human or human-like ACE2 that permits another optimal binding solution to arise. This is strong evidence that SARS-CoV-2 is not the product of purposeful manipulation. And he says, since when is most likely the result of natural selection considered, quote, strong evidence? And uh, from the article, it says, if genetic manipulation had been performed, one of the several reverse genetic systems available for beta coronaviruses would probably have been used. So here, he says, their argument seems to be, quote, this was not made the way we would have chosen to make it. Thus, it was not man-made. And again, this all seems very flimsy. They keep citing the Wuhan fish market theory, which we know to be false. More than half the early cases had no connection to the fish market. There is also evidence of long-distance transmission before anyone at the fish market was infected. And if you want to know where there are a lot of bat viral in Wuhan, the answer is the Wuhan Institute of Virology, specifically in the lab of Xing Yi. Xing I don't know, sorry, I don't know how to pronounce it. And he said this, the, from the article, this leaves the insertion of polybasic cleavage site to occur during human human transmission. You can explain that to me in a sec. He said, keep in mind, their theory is that the virus accumulated its novel property after it jumped into humans. That is possible, although it is also possible that this happened in the lab. There are documented instances of laboratory escapes of SARS-CoV-28. We must therefore examine the possibility of an inadvertent laboratory release of SARS-CoV-2. He says, as we all know, wet lab and microbiology people make mistakes. I feel the most likely answer is that someone at the lab made a mistake. Whether or not the virus was intentionally genetically manipulated or not is a totally separate question from, did it come from the laboratory? that the paper conflates these two questions into one demonstrates a serious logical flaw in the paper so uh that's a a whole lot of stuff um polybasic mm-hmm. cleavage site um that sounds like i don't know the worst e thought website really? on, on in the world but what are they talking about this leaves the insertion okay. of polybasic cleavage site to occur during human to human transmission
1: which i can only okay. say paul help me okay all right so the cleavage site is—they're talking about the protease, and the protease that they're referring to is furin, and as I mentioned on your show, furin adds to the inf- infection by a thousand times. Okay, so in the S uh, uh, protein, or the spike protein, that part of the genome will code for a, a protein, but it's—it's it's not cleaved, it's not folded yet, so it needs that polybasic site or that cleavage state for the furin to come in, cleave it. And then you have uh, S1 and S2 that will fold and create the spike protein. Okay, So now what's important is it goes back to the 2008 paper. This is why people need to know the history to understand it. The 2008 paper manipulated in the lab the polybasic cleavage point by using the HIV homology. And they were in that paper you're talking about is referencing the RATG13. The RATG13 didn't exist in 2008. That's my point. They made RATG13. RATG13, I believe was bioengineered. And I believe Wuhan, which is slightly different, but there's a lot of similarity to RATG13, probably was the weapons virus and they were running in parallel. So, um, you know, I, I read that paper. Now that paper that you're, 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 uh, that, that it was referencing um, is actually an op-ed because it starts as to the editor. Now who writes a, a research article to the editor, all right? Anyone that's published a paper doesn't do that, all right? <laughs> so it was an op-ed correspondence to nature. And one of the first citations in that is a uh, Piang Zhao, paper that they're citing that where Piang Zhao is trying to state that this was bat SARS, a a, a bat SARS zoonotic. Now, remember, he works at the P4 lab. So he has, you know, he he has a dog in this race to make sure that he's covering up his trail. Because most people would not have the paper that I'm talking about. Mm. That goes back to 2008, where he made the pseudo HIV coronavirus. Because they were stating in that paper, the 2008 paper, that the that the SARS or the BAT-SARS coronavirus is not infecting very well the human ACE2 receptor until, until they put the HIV homology in. And that's the poly basic cleavage site. And the paper that you're talking about isn't talking about the gag part. They're only talking about, I'm, I'm sorry, they're, they're talking about the gag part of it. They're not talking about the the uh, uh, the glycoprotein 120, which is the other three inserts, which I'm concerned about because uh, G, uh, GP or, or uh, a glycoprotein 120 is what attaches to one of the receptors that's doing the pinballing that I was telling you about, all right? Which is the CD 299 uh, receptor that's in our immune cells. And some uh, AT two cells in the air sac. Okay, so this is c- very complicated. It uh, people in, in in you know that are deep into the biology of this would understand a little bit better what I'm saying. But I'm trying. Uh, but for the layman person, there are multiple receptors that this virus can attack, and that it was purposely designed from the scientific point point of view to understand. how how does it get to the human ACE2 receptor, which is the main receptor, to build a therapeutic, to design a therapeutic to fight it, okay? But it looks like in around 2015, it bifurcated and became, you know, and another line was designed that was probably a weapons uh, um, direction you know, a bioweapon. And, uh, there's some proof on this that, 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 that proves this bifurcation point because Dr. Boyle is stating that. So like a lot of people were saying, well, Dr. Paul Cottrell, he's saying that it's a bioengineer and Dr. Boyle was saying that it's a bioweapon. It's not mutually exclusive. (laughs) No, That's my point is we're both right. Right. We were talking about two different lines, uh, strains that were happening and um it, it's a little scary on, uh, on what what's happening and it would it would it would show that if you were to make a weapon don't you want it to pinball don't you well, want it's a it weapon to, against you know, the
0: economy i mean it's not a weapon against people primarily it's a weapon against the economy and you don't want a weapon to kill people quickly because that's not as bad for the economy no, as we talked about not, before
1: now let, let's talk that. about see so, wait see, so let me yeah, go one, ahead one, hey, one I, one I interrupt people all the, the time seat, please feel the free. Seat, the C the C D two Zero Nine and the C D two Nine Nine receptors, they're upregulated in Caucasians, not Asians. And elderly. Well, if you want a weapon, that's it.
0: Okay, so this is this is the race or ethnic susceptibility uh yes. to to this. Um and I, I know it was a very, very small sample size, but I talked about this, I think, in early February, just about how Asians have significantly more receptors and by Asians, let's be sort of more specific, the East Asians, right? I mean, the, the um, what used to be called Orientals or, or, you know, Chinese, Japanese, Korean, and so on, that they have elevated receptors for the COVID-19. And this is one reason why they tend to be more susceptible, but of course you're putting the category of the elderly in that as well, is that right?
1: Yeah, but here, here, here's the plate. here's the plate. They get sick first, they get the antibodies. It starts to attenuate away from the ACE2. Yes, ACE2 is more upregulated for male, possibly more male Asian. But as it attenuates and moves towards the CD299, we get infected. They already have parts of the antibody. So they, what I'm saying is, is that the CCP is it, it, it has more resilience more antibody, while the Western nations are sick. Now, if you're gonna attack, if you're you're gonna attack-
0: Let me just make sure I understand that. Um, I almost feel like I'm sort of playing catch up, which is good, Yeah, I I enjoy that. But so you're saying that in China, let's just keep it geographically specific, all this may be true for all East Asians. So in China, they're gonna get it, first, they're gonna get it uh, hard hit, but they're gonna develop antibodies. But as it moves, say, to Caucasians, which would explain why uh, America, somebody just posted in the chat that America is over 100,000. Now, That the deaths in America have now exceeded that of China, even though China has a more primitive uh, eco- economy, more primitive health care, it has uh, you know, some fairly nasty practices when it comes to eating and, and personal hygiene and so on, that you're saying that as it moves from East Asians to Caucasians that there's going to be an uptick in the virulence of the illness.
1: And the duration. Mm. Because they want to move and control the first island change by 2025. And if we have we if we pinball this thing, this thing can rear itself back up and we it's not a 20 month issue. It's a 20 month goes away, it's quiet and then pops up again because it gains function with those other receptors that are, are that have a higher affinity in caucasians. So they're willing to sacrifice some
0: number of their own population in order to harm Caucasians, who I guess would this traditionally is a two-year plan. This is a two-plan. This is a two-year plan. So okay, so let me just run. Okay, so the way that I look at this and play me out with the be be, uh, be kind, play out the scenario with me. So the three categories that I sort of look at this event at to analogize it to the criminal justice system is we look at. Um, Uh, accidents, manslaughter, and murder, right? So the accident is, hey, you know, it really did just come from bats. It was bad luck. Nobody had any clue. It spread. We're all in this together. That's the accidental scenario. Now, the manslaughter element is that it got out of the lab. The government didn't know how. They didn't track it. They didn't really. So there's negligence, but it's not first degree, right? And the first degree is, it's a weapon. We're going to specifically release it. We're going to keep our airports open. We're going to influence the WHO, like the World Health Organization, the guy who was largely put in by the CCP, right, the head of, that, the, the, head of the World Health Organization. So we're going to suppress how dangerous it is. We're not going to let the, the people come in to examine it. And so to me, the question, and it's a really, really important question, is it, is it accidental? Is it manslaughter? In other words, is it negligence? Or is it an, an actual homicide? This is important. Now, the one thing that leads me towards either manslaughter or homicide with regards to the release of this virus is quite simple is that the story keeps changing. Because first, it was the bats. Uh, bat, And then, you know to some degree, the Wuhan fish market. And then they, they pivoted when this started to become disproven. And the, the data came out that a lot of the early infections had nothing to do with this Wuhan fish market. Then they pivoted and they said, no, it was the US. The US army was over here. And they're the ones who did it. And, and this, to me, the fact that the story keeps changing, well, that's kind of what you'd expect from a guilty person. I right? just keep pointing fingers until... Something lands, and that seems to me very important. What I would want from the Chinese government would be exactly what somebody suspected of uh, either homicide, maybe second degree or first degree murder, or or manslaughter. You got to open your books, man. You got to let people come in. What they should be doing, of course, is letting independent evaluators go in to the Wuhan bio facility. And they should have open books. It should be, you know, power of subpoena documents and, and, uh, and depositions. It should just be all an open book. But they're not doing any of that. And now that the virus is outside their borders and spreading throughout the world, China, what have they done? Well, they have closed their country to foreigners. And that imagine- to me does not look, this to me looks exactly like you would expect a guilty person, how exactly you would expect a guilty Absolutely. person to behave.
1: Exactly, exactly can you imagine if we could, if, if, if they admitted or the WHO said, we have found proof that they, they leaked out either accidentally or on purpose, a bioweapon, not just a scientific bioengineered virus, well, would be but a bioweapon. War. But absolute of exactly. war. And it would exactly. be one of
0: the greatest acts of war that has ever been initiated in the history of mankind.
1: Yeah, exactly. Now I, if it was, I, like I said, there was a scientific line. There was multiple scientific lines, not just in Wuhan. There's around the around the world. But there was a bifurcation that, that had a, a a bioweapons component to this a, a line. Okay. I can't tell you for sure if it was on purpose that weapon, that bioweapon leakage, or if it was on accident. If it was on accident, like you said, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's manslaughter. Um, if it's on purpose, then it's first degree murder. Um, and it's, but the and thing is, is that deep down it does matter, but it, it but it, it does matter big time. Um, but when, when people need to realize, and we do this, even in our governments, we have weapons programs that are secret that people don't know about that can hurt a lot of people. If it is accidentally leaked out, all right, and we need to have a larger philosophical discussion on where's the who's watching the watcher, who who's who's making these decisions? No one, nobody yeah. can watch the watchers. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we can exactly. talk about democracy you know, and, all we
0: want, but if people don't know, and, uh, they don't uh, know, right?
1: Right, right. So I mean, so we are building up these 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 uh, weapons programs that could <laughs> kill everybody. You know, and I just like it just these these generals
0: are almost out of control. But the good news is that the world has been spending trillions of dollars and decades of scientific intelligence trying to figure out how to alter the temperature in 100 years by 0.2 degrees. So that's where we've been really (laughs) focusing our efforts. And uh, and of course, the big fear. This is what drives me nuts about the intelligence establishments, pretty much as oxymoronic as you can imagine, like military intelligence. But, you know, you got to pick one, right? Right. Is that what have they been focusing on? Well, they've been focusing on nukes, basically since uh, the Rosenbergs gave the secrets to the Soviets uh, in, in the 50s, I think it was, right, or late 40s. So they've been focusing on the leader of North Korea and his nuclear program and weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. Meanwhile, I mean, China is basically cooking up a combination of Satan's armpit and the witch's brew from the beginning of Macbeth for decades. Hello? Anybody notice this?
1: Yeah. We got yeah. Chinese
0: scientists working away in labs, ferreting and pushing God knows what information and samples back to China. You know, it's one thing if they're ripping off a Justin Bieber CD, it seems quite another, when they're taking West West western expertise in bioweapons or bio horrors back to the homeland. Sorry, I didn't even know what the question is in that rant. I just needed
1: to get it no, on no, my no. chest. I mean, you got it right. You absolutely got it right, 100%. <sighs> I, and, and, you know, we, it, it's just like people need to wake up and say, hey, you know, we need to have a say as, as citizens on what our, what our defense department is doing, because if it, something goes wrong, we're talking about now chaos theory here. You know, it's a rare event, but when it does happen, it's catastrophic. Look, the cost-benefit calculation is not even close. Like, the cost-benefit
0: calculation, why are people, you know, it it leads me down a complete rabbit hole because, of course, you know, the Georgia Stones, we got to get the population down to 500 million, the radical environmentalists slash communists who want to depopulate the planet because they saw the matrix while stoned one time too many. Like, there's literally this group of people who wish and desperately thirst and desire, a bunch of sociopaths who thirst for the deaths of billions and billions of people around the world because, uh, I don't know, they view humanity as a cancer and you've just got to irradiate that mofo off the face of the planet. And it's like, I mean, wh- wh- how many of these people are in power? I mean, what is it just pedophiles and genocide maniacs? I mean, is that all we have ruling us? Sorry. I don't know. That might be, that
1: might be the case. <laughs> um, but you know, I, I take it from, you know, being the, the Detroit auto engineer type, you know, and it's like, society as it grows, will have problems, but we can engineer solutions. It doesn't mean that you have to have mass calling, you know, whatever the, Gosh, whatever I'm the social, glad we're, on, you know, we're on the same page know, as far as no yeah. mass yeah. culling. We'll call that. Yeah. I mean, but the, it's just, it's idiotic for people to think that you, you, you have to like reduce the population radically. Um, um, you know, I, we, we're not even using proper agricultural techniques to feed the world, not even close. I mean, it's, it's, it's very rudimentary how we do farming right now. You know, There's lots of better technologies in permaculture and permaculture and, and, and getting better yield per acre that we could easily feed many times more than what we are now. But people don't think like engineers or system engineers
0: Oh, I've I've really been, I got so much,
1: I got so much good stuff out of engineers.
0: Engineers, like this special autistic breed of like (laughs) Vulcan based robots of truth, uh, because (laughs) I got so many great uh, arguments from engineers that really helped wake me up to how dangerous this was. Okay, let's, let's switch gears for a second. Not much of a gear, I guess. And we'll, we'll get to questions from the audience. Uh, I just wanted to uh, point out just how enjoyable it is to me that, that Paul is so much more popular than me on my own show. It's great. It's great. Well, you know, I guess people are looking for some expertise, which is great. But OK, so let's talk about what the oh, let's keep it family friendly. Paul, what the heck is going on in China? I mean, they claim to have beaten this thing, but it seems like they've got what, eight million people missing from their cell phone rolls. Um, they've got sulfur clouds visible from space. Like, what the hell do you think? I know we're reaching a little bit over the uh, bramble bush of, of uh, propaganda here, but do you... Accept or believe what the Chinese government is saying about uh, what's going on in China?
1: No, I think they're covering it up. One, because of the weapons program, and two, they're uh, uh, they're afraid to tell the, the the world at large how bad it really was. I believe it's more at the eight to eighty million infected uh, number in China. I don't believe the eighty thousand because. The United States have surpassed that, just the United States, and we only have 330 million people. And we haven't even came, didn't even put a dent in the testing yet.
0: Well, and, and sorry they to interrupt, have but 1. Point billion, we also didn't, billion, have, we didn't have
1: the Chinese New Year. It's the
0: biggest human movement on the planet. We didn't have the Chinese New Year movement that occurred right at the
1: peak of transmissibility at the early times of this virus. That's a good point. That's a good point. That's a good point. So they, they, they should have a, a very high number. Very high number, and I don't believe the only three thousand deaths when there were to, there were lots of reports of twenty four seven crematorium uh, throughputs. So you don't do twenty four seven for only three thousand people. That's like a thousand a day maybe throughput, and so I don't believe the numbers at all. I think that it's more than a hundred times more. Um. Uh, We're going to, once we, once the, you know, again, you know, scientists have to get enough data to make a decision on anything. But once all the data falls in with this, after an 18-month period, it will just show, it'll just scream that China was lying. I think the data right now is showing it. Because if you add up all of Europe, Europe is much more infected than, and, and the death rate's higher than what China is saying. So I just with the the population densities in China like you said the Chinese New Year and the you know the spread of that um, there's no way that they contained it. Now Bill Gates during that one hour TED Talk interview the other day he was he was praising China saying that you know because of their totalitarian regime that they could lock down everybody and they they flattened that curve really fast. I don't believe that I don't believe it whatsoever. And it's sad that, you know, he's propping up just like the WHO is and, and saying China's so great. And I think when everything's said and done, when all the dust settles, we're going to see that China lied and they were trying to cover up a weapons program and, um, uh, you know, that hopefully people will wake up and say, you know what, no more Chinese products. I like the Chinese people. I have a lot of Chinese friends. Yeah. But the, the CCP is is destroying this world, literally. <laughs> and you know, no more economic help. You know, we built the, the the United States literally built China for the last 30 years. And we bought their cheap products because we wanted to import deflation. You know and we shipped our jobs to counter the money printing yeah 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 Yeah. so so you know well you know you know what let's bring them back let's bring those jobs back let's rebuild our supply chains and let's be more endogenous or more self-sufficient less fragile and let china build their own country they don't need our fdi or you know foreign direct investment You know, I just enough is enough with them, you know, and but the Chinese people, it's different. You know, we have to be clear because I don't believe in xenophobia. You know, you know, that, that, you know, I I believe that, you know, the Chinese people are good people, but their 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 government is 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 destroying this world.
0: Well, it was their name to be held accountable. Well, and, and to be fair, of course, it was the government largely foisted upon the Chinese people by all of the communist spies in the U.S. State Department. Uh, after the uh, after the Second World War, so yeah, I mean, the they, reason they really why I victims. bring
1: up the the reason why I bring up the xenophobia is we're seeing it in we're seeing it in New York. You know, if an Asian person is on a train, uh, people move over to the other side of the train car. You know, because th- it's thought that well, they, you know, they're carrying the fire, vi- they're they're the cause of the virus. Well, no, I mean, it's ah, it's you know, people to, to people play add. the odds though to play
0: the odds, you know, racially profiling people as being a potential source of the virus. People are, it's, it's the cost benefit, right? So people say, okay, what if this guy is just 1% more likely to have the virus than some guy from Mexico or some, you know, white guy from Queens or whatever? Okay, so if I stand close to him, it doesn't really give me much benefit. But if, even if it's a 1% greater chance, I'm not justifying all of this paranoia, but in terms of the cost benefit, moving away is relatively effort-free. Uh, and if well, it reduces actually, if you your at... chance of infection by 1%, you know, I can,
1: I can see well, how no, people no, no. come think to about, that conclusion. Think about the probability of this. Think about the probability of this. If you have fit, in this case, we already started doing uh, self-quarantine when this, when this happened. And there were 50 people in the car, in, in, the, in, in the train car, which is not that many when you're talking about you know, New York, all right? So there's enough space to walk around. You know, sometimes you can't walk around in the car, in the train car. So if you have one Asian on one end, all right, and you have fifty non-Asians on the other end, you have a probability of getting something on the fifty end side higher True. than the one the, the one person on the other. So if I was a betting person, I'd be with the Asian, not with the the other forty nine. But you're changing the
0: variables there. I'm just talking like on a one to one person, <laughs> you could say that the the East Asian is gonna be a yeah. tiny bit higher chance of giving you coronavirus than every other I agree with that. potential. I would agree with I would But agree yeah, with I agree that. with you about yeah, that. Uh, uh, uh. Okay, um, we're going to take a couple of questions in uh, in a second. And, man, did I have a great question there. This is the great thing about life, is that, you know, if the question evaporates from your brain <laughs> like a fried egg on an Arizona rock, then uh, it doesn't come back. So i tell you what. Um, let's go to, uh, to the questions uh, if people have them. And, uh, of course, you know, asking people not to spam us too much is uh, – uh, is uh, not going to be too likely close. It's nice to see over almost 4,000 people watching this live, though. That's really, really great. And um, yeah, the cheap labor issue is is funny. You know, I have these debates quite a bit. I don't know what your thoughts are just while we wait for these questions to, to pop up. But I don't believe that manufacturing left the West primarily because of labor prices. See, m- m- as you know, Labor prices in manufacturing is not a massive part of the whole supply chain issue. And slightly lower wages or significantly lower wages doesn't necessarily translate into a massive product difference at the end. It's not like half the wage price is half the final retail. It's very, very complicated and it's only a small, relatively small percentage point of the final product is labor costs. I think what happened was, you know, people who are entrepreneurs, right? So you're an entrepreneur, I'm an entrepreneur. I know a lot of the people listening to or watching this are entrepreneurs. Do you know what we hate more than anything? What we hate even more than going out of business is bureaucracy and red tape. Oh, man. Can you imagine? Like, if, if I had and, to apply... And taxes. Yeah, and taxes. And taxes. Yeah, no, okay, I get that. But <laughs> if I had to apply, as may be the case uh, relatively soon, if I had to apply for a stack full of permits to be able to have a conversation with you, I'd probably go do something else. And you can see, of course, that the most economic growth tends to occur in the least regulated markets. Like, I could go and co-found a software company, be chief technology officer with n- having no degree. Uh, in in computer science, just being a hobbyist since I was like 11. So there was no uh, regulatory barrier for me to go and get done what I needed to get done. And if you want to go and try and build a factory in um, France or, uh, you know, hyper-regulated places like France or Germany, America to some degree, Canada for sure, it's just so uncertain. It's so delicate. I mean, look at trying to get a pipeline in Alberta. I mean, it's completely mad. How many, you know, well, you got to consult with the indigenous population, and then there's uh, the snail daughter, environmental site assessment, and there's an environmental impact study, and then there's a health and safety review, and and I mean, it just goes on. It can take years to actually get something built, and then so you plan something, especially if it's high tech. By the time you actually get around to building it, I bet your plans are useless because things have changed. So much. I mean, imagine if we had to wait three months to report on coronavirus, it would be worse than useless. So the fact that we can go live and talk about this stuff is really, really important. And I think what happened was people said, okay, so I can get enmeshed in this horrible political process that could change with the next administration. I mean, look what they're doing. They're threatening. Well, we're going to shut coal down. No, we love coal. No, we're going to shut coal down. Depending (laughs) on the administration, who wants to invest in that kind of political and regulatory uncertainty? Who wants to wait that long for an uncertain outcome. You know, as you're going through the process of trying to build a factory in the West, the regulations can change to the point where it actually becomes kind of impossible. At the same time as you're waiting to build a factory, stuff is flooding in from overseas, undercutting your market as a whole. And also then you've got these crazy unions. And again, I've got no problem with unions at a voluntary level, but unions that have this power of the state behind them and they can shut down your business and prevent um, scabs from coming in. I mean, they're just, holding you by the balls in a pair of <laughs> vices and, and bear traps. So I think what happened was it became not illegal, but functionally impossible to do a lot of manufacturing in the West. And that's why people ended up going to Mexico and they ended up going to China or, or India or other places, just because, you know, you got to get stuff done in this life. And just waiting to burrow your way through like Robert De Niro style, this whirlwind, of paperwork and political uncertainty and hostility and bad press and all of that from all the environmentalist groups, I think it just kind of became functionally impossible. In other words, by trying to keep ourselves safe from anything negative, we may have actually helped promote coronavirus
1: uh, on the air between us. <laughs> I, I agree with the complexity of, of business and why it was uh, shipped overseas. Another, uh, one other factor that you didn't mention was quality. Quality was really going down in the seventies and the eighties, in uh, terms in the West, of you mean? Uh, having it, it, yes, in the United States. So, um, and uh, you know, some of the uh, quality experts, uh, the statistical quality experts, and the you know Six Sigma you know experts out there, that they it didn't take in the United States in the eighties until it went to Japan. Hmm. They used it in part of their Kaizen process and then and then then eventually it was adopted through jack welsh um you know through the mba programs but uh united states was a little late to the party when it came when it came to that six sigma well it also reminds me sorry to interrupt but uh, there's this book
0: uh, at our wits end and it's basically saying that we have in the west a big iq problem the reason why we can't sustain something like the concord is we just don't have the engineering expertise and of course other cultures don't have that same issue so all right, uh, so let me just hit you with a couple of questions here from the audience. Um, sorry, this is a nice open-ended one, so feel free to roam around. How does this play out, Paul? Best guess at the moment with the information you have.
1: If chloroquine works or remnosphere or a vaccine comes out in a year and a half, we're not gonna have, we're, we're not going to have the 165 million cases that I, that I project in the United States. But if they don't work and the social distancing doesn't work, then we will have 165 million cases. So it's anywhere from 165 million in 18, in 18 months or 20 months to maybe about you know, 20 million. All right. But any, you know, any, anything can happen in between then. This is not gonna this is not something that's gonna go away quick. This is part I, of our people need a wake up. Yeah. yeah, this, this there, is There is a stay. new there's a new there's a new normal that that's that's happening
0: here. Okay, so this is something that I went down this rabbit hole about a week ago. And uh, again, if you don't know, you don't know, but did you know that the seventh annual military games were hosted in Wuhan, China on the same day as event two oh one in New York, October eighteenth, twenty nineteen? And this I think is part of the CCP argument as to it came from the U.S.
1: military is that right? Right. Yeah. There is there is this theory about this this uh, war game thing. Um, it's it's a theory. I don't know. You know. There's a again the the United States is saying, hey, it happened in in, in China, and it, you know something happened in Wuhan. Maybe it's from the P four. I believe it's from the P four. I believe it's a weapons program and you know the ccp is trying to do disinformation and say that it was the us that you know that did it against the the chinese so there's a geo, there's a geopolitical component to this and people need to wake up and realize that there's going to be disinformation going back and forth
0: why is the um, mainstream media so is, dead
1: sorry why is the mainstream media so dead set against
0: even entertaining the argument that covid-19 could be bioengineered
1: well, I think that, um, it opens up, uh, you know, that, that deep state that, you know, black operations that are going on, uh, at so many different levels. Um, there, it, 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 I found really odd during the Afghan and, and, uh, I, Iraq, um, invasions right after nine 11 was how almost complicit CNN was with, with the Pentagon. It almost like they just took it for face value and everything they were saying about ma- uh, weapons of mass destruction with Saddam Hussein. Yeah. It's something similar. It's like they 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 are not being journalists anymore. They're being told what to say. They're they're teleprompt readers. They, they they don't they don't they don't investigate stories anymore. Um, and then on top of it, <laughs> the Chinese have infiltrated our industries here. You know, they're yeah. part of the advertising. I mean, China owns Hollywood. So yeah, people say, no. why
0: are the why are the uh, celebrities not coming out and doing charity concerts? Because they don't want to kill their access to the Chinese market. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so here, here's an important question. Sorry, like the others were. That's got to insult everyone. <laughs> so this is the latest. In, this is the latest hyper important question. Okay. Stop with this fear-mongering, and I know like, fear-mongering is not an argument, but it is a reasonable perspective to discuss. The statistics are being reassessed, so I think that this is in relation to the... Okay, so I, let me just do a minor correction here. So I talked about this in my live stream yesterday, that some of the estimates of, uh, that came out of the Imperial College in London went down from 500,000 dead down to like 20,000, right? So um, that's significant. It's <laughs> a significant drop. And yet um, the, the the fact of the matter is that this was a range and the high end was with no social distancing and so on. right? So a lot of people feel that the uh, earlier fear mongering or the earlier dire statistics did not play out in the way that things have happened so far. And therefore, we should be skeptical of warning or dire scenarios going forward. And as you've been tracking some of these, I wouldn't say reassessments, but people... Giving numbers based upon the lower end of prior estimates, how does that tie into what people do sometimes fear or uh, see as fear mongering, like you know, millions dead
1: and 18 months and so on? Well, I think it's very important that any model, um, there it, it's based on assumptions, and you've mentioned this on many many videos about simulations. Anyone can simulate anything, and it's what the parameters you put in, right? And this was talking about global warming actually, but in this case. I've stated that I believe that the numbers are going to be high if certain things happen. And that's if the social distancing doesn't work, if, followed, the, therapeutics yeah. don't, if the therapeutics don't work as well, that we don't get this, uh, if, if, if uh, we get a new um, um, gain of function, it'll cause a problem with the receptors and the health the, the, the health demographics of the United States is poor. That's a fact, all right? But, but I've been stating that the 6.9 million that will die in the United States from, from COVID-19, comma, through the complications of COVID-19, that's the key point here. A lot of people are unhealthy, and there's a lot of people that have diabetes in the United States, that are obese, they have heart disease, They have kidney dysfunction, they have liver dysfunction, and other comorbidities. Where if you get COVID nineteen, you most likely will die from it. Now that's I it may be called fear mongering, but the reality of the situation is this: it is to wake up people to start becoming uh, their own doctor in the sense, take responsibility of your health, because a lot of these diabetes patients, not all, but a lot, the type two, a lot of them were self-induced they were self-induced because of of lifestyle all right so people may call it fear-mongering the reality is is it's showing a mirror to the 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 American public that because of your life lifestyle choices you've actually caused the the your the probability of 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 uh, dying from this to increase like for for example my mother was you know a, a 40 year you know for 40 years she smoked all right she has severe COPD, severe COPD. She gets this, she will die. She will die. She's not gonna survive, and she'll die quickly because she can't breathe, all right? That's, a, that, that's those are facts. Those are card, you know, you know, those are facts. That's not fear-mongering. So I want people to take responsibility of their health and to take the opportunity to, you can, it, as long as you still are alive, you have a chance and you can boost up your immune system, you know. And there's lots of ways to do that by eating properly and take, you know, proper nutrition and all that. You know, so it's not fear mongering. I want to help. Fear mongering is like everyone's going to die, and, and there's nothing we can reason, do. Right. You know, and there's nothing we can do, right? You know, it's like you know, the sky is falling and all that. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that if if you if you prepare and you and, and, and you do proper procedures, proper protocol, you have a better chance of surviving through this. But if you think that, if you just say, this is just the flu, then people aren't going to pay attention with the social distancing and the shelter in place and the infection rates will start to increase and we will not bring down that curve and smash it like we were talking earlier. So you have to state that this is is very important to do, that this this is a dire situation to get people engaged to pay attention. See, this is you know, you, you have to you have to sound the alarm to get people to wake up.
0: So let's talk about the comparisons that are being. I wouldn't say thrown about. That's kind of a dismissive phrase. But the comparisons that are being put in, are to do with H one N one, swine flu, and so on. And saying, well, look, you know, we've we've had these things before and infected millions of people. There were tens or hundreds of thousands of deaths, and you know, we're we're freaking out over. A road we've traveled before without freaking out. So what justifies the freak out now?
1: This was bioengineered. HN1 was zoonotic. Ebola was zoonotic. The Spanish flu was zoonotic. MERS was zoonotic. SARS was zoonotic. This is the best of both worlds. And I've mentioned multiple times why. They took the best of the replicase and the best of the spike protein, spiked it up with HIV, homology, and you got a bioweapon that is the problem, and if people don't keep, if people keep on thinking that this is just zoonotic and this is just your average you know, you know garden variety virus, uh, you have another thing coming. Well, that other thing could be uh, a respirator okay right and now um,
0: he would like to um, sorry, people would like to talk about. And again, this is not medical advice. This is simply just opinions and, and perspectives. But uh, they do want to talk about uh, colloidal silver, which is something I've heard about, and also other uh, treatments uh, that uh, seem to be showing some promise, uh, I guess, looking for a ray of hope in the,
1: the okay. entire language that we're using. Right, right. So there are, you know, the allopathic, uh, you know, the more MD, MD route of, of treatment, antivirals, protease inhibitors strong uh, antibiotics, and the more uh, homeopathic nutraceutical route, okay? They are not mutually exclusive. They're synergies. But if you're sick, you need to see your doctor. But there may be a lot of people that can't see their doctor for multiple reasons because you might have a medical system that starts to collapse. And it probably will happen in New York first. But, all right, so, on the uh, homeopathic side, boosting up your immune system by taking your, your you know, vitamins, vitamin Cs, you know, zincs, um, anti-inflammatories will help boost up your immune system like the um, they're, uh Having a proper mitochondrial health will boot, boost up your, your ATP levels, that's your energy levels. Uh, that can be done with NMN is a supplement um PQQ coq10 these are all known to be antioxidants immune system boosters uh proper you know hydration you know uh, filtered water make sure you don't have that fluoride in there and iodine you know so you have proper um a thyroid health because the thyroid is really important to give you that uh homeostasis with your uh, endocrine system because a lot of americans have endocrine disruption. What, what that basically means is your endocrine system is not working properly, and you can't fight pathogens, and you just have a, a poor disease state. Okay, so it, you can do that. Now, in terms of the colloidal silver, the colloidal silver is good, but it is ionic. It's it, when when it, it when it's uh, d- uh, dissolved, it, um, it, it's it's one ion. So it, it only has, let's say, one bullet. You can imagine it's, it, it can only uh, react once. There's something called nanosilver. Nanosilver is a tetrahedral molecule. And it has four oxygens attached to a silver uh, atom. That allows it to have multiple attack points on a pathogen. All right. So what this does is not only help boost your immune system, but it also disrupts glycoproteins on certain pathogens. Okay, and this is a well known fact and, and the, the military uses it in the field. So if the military uses it, they don't use colloidal silver, they use nano silver. So I'm, I put my bet on the guys that are you know in the SEAL team and what they use. Colloidal silver is an older technology. Nano silver because of how it's made is more of a, of a, of a modern invention. Uh, it's much better, nano silver. So, but if you do have colloidal and you can't get nano, colloidal will help you. All right. The thing with colloidal is, is that it can um, be absorbed in adipose tissue and uh, build up toxicity if you're taking it all the time as a supplement. So, colloidal should be only taken in in uh, when you're sick, not as a supplement. While nano silver is excreted out of the body. Um, within a 12 to 24 hour period, all right? So you don't have toxicity, uh, a buildup in in your body like you do with colloidal. Colloidal, again, is an older technology, an older way of of it. Uh, Nano is, is much better and it doesn't have the toxicity problems. Okay, so good, what has Russia done right? Well, we assume that Russia did things right because (laughs) I think they're lying with their numbers. They did close their borders early, that helped. But they're also in the news building in record time a big hospital facility similar to what they did in Wuhan. So that leads me to believe that Putin um, has data internally that he's not sharing to the world that there's a problem In russia and uh he also suspended the constitution where they're not going to do elections so he's going to be the the president so there is there's constitutional things going on with putin in russia and the building of that hospital if things weren't that bad there's no reason to build a hospital you know in record time right and i just don't believe the numbers so um, I, t- Russia's got a problem. It's just how bad is it? We just don't know because it, it's, it's opaque. And I'm sorry to re-
0: retread this, but, um, I'm getting a lot of questions. Uh, this is from Caroline. And if you can just give the Coles notes on this, can you give more evidence of the virus being bioengineered other than that paper that was retracted talking about the four HIV inserts? I agree. It was bioengineered. I just want more info. Thanks. And of course I'll turn that over to Paul cause it gets a bit acronymy for me.
1: Yeah. Okay. So on my channel, if you uh, if you go to January twenty fifth and watch uh, the videos from January twenty fifth through February first, that will be a great uh, introduction on why it it the, the uh, why it was bioengineered. How you know how I came to that conclusion. Then on my website, you can go uh, to the website and there's a there's a link um, on the front page. the homepage, uh, called medicine that will go to a bunch of pdf files Uh, and in one of those pdf files it talks about the origins of the coronavirus and if you read you know many of those pdf files it'll it'll show you that that they were slowly building this thing up all the way back to 2008 and we were talking about this in the earlier in the in, in, in this live cast about um, the pseudo uh, virus they, they made with HIV to improve the infection on human ACE2 receptors. So those are the, the, the two main sources that you can look at, and then if you have further questions, then you can reach out to me All right
0: So uh, yes, he's not a medical doctor. that is very, very true. Um, people want uh, basket of puppies wants people to know that fish tank cleaner doesn't work. And I think we can all get behind that. Like whatever our disagreements and confusions about this entire system, I think we can all say, do not take anything to do with fish tank cleaner and think that that's going to... Right. Um,
1: but, but i I'd just like to, just to add, um, I am working on my master's, my master's thesis at Harvard in biology before I go to medical school. So I do have a certain level of expertise in, in this, in molecular biology and in cancer especially in colon cancer. So, um, you know, so I, I'm not just, you know, yes, I do, have a P- I do have a PhD in finance. So people would say, well, why would you be talking about medicine? Well, because, you know, I, I am pursuing an MD, you know, and in, to get to medical school, I had to go through pre-med and I had to go through organic chemistry and I had to do all this, you know, all this stuff at, at a master's level that allowed me to do the bioinformatics to allow me to explain to people how these cells are working and how the endocrine system works, because that's what I learned at Harvard. So you know, it's, I, but I'm just taking the scientific method that I learned from my PhD, and I'm just you know taking it you know further to trying to help people. So uh, this is this is the problem with with people, in I think in maybe Western society, is they they're, they 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 assume that they only know one thing and they know, you know, but this is the difference between a polymath. A polymath knows multiple things. I am, I know a lot about automotive engineering, a lot. All right. Cause I, you know, I did that for a long time in my life and I know quite a bit about finance. All right. And at the algorithmic and, 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 and the artificial intelligence level because of my postdoctoral work and my work at Harvard and at Fordham university, um, in, in biology. So I, I, I try to synthesize all this. And that's what's unique that I, I bring to the table is seeing all these different pillars. Well, quote, the experts, they're only one thing. And they have this very myopic idea. But here you can see that um, you know we're having this great conversation on so many different realms on this COVID-19 crisis at the political pillar, you know, at the scientific pillar, at the financial pillar, and it's it flows very easily. So it's very self-evident, it's very axiomatic that, you know, that there are benefits of discussing this particular situation from a polymath perspective. Okay. Uh, just two two more questions. I
0: think we'll close things off. Uh, the very attractive Milo wants to know if you're married.
1: Uh, I, I, I don't, I don't mention my, okay, that's fine. That's fine. Because, because of, you know, because of obvious reasons.
0: Yeah. yeah, Okay. Now let's close off with this question around this bailout. I mean, listen, I'll, I'll just do a tiny little thing here. I'll let you close off the show with this. The bailout is a huge problem for me because the fact that people aren't saving means that they have to have this bailout or they feel the need for this bailout. We're not willing to take the tough medicine that this bailout would be, which would be, of course, a drop in prices, a drop in real estate values, a drop in costs. Of course, what's going to happen is people are going to get this bailout, which means they're not going to alter their spending habits. The bailout is not going to be enough to cover their costs. They could end up in a worse hole than before. And of course, even if it is enough to cover the majority of their costs, all that means is they say, hey, man, I don't need to save because anytime there's a problem, the government's just going to send me a check. So these short-term solutions, which unfortunately late-stage democracy is completely addicted to, uh, let's talk over. If you can sort of finish up the show, Paul, just talking about, you know, given your finance background, how is the bailout? It's what, two grand in Canada, 1,200 in the US, a variety of other measures, uh, suspension of collection of student loans and other things. How is this bailout? It's a big question, I know, but how is this bailout going to play out
1: in the economy as a whole? I, if we have sustained, infection in the United States and we can't smash the curve as we were talking earlier, then we're gonna have more economic pain. And 1200 dollars a month is not going to fill the hole. I mean Are they talking yeah. about
0: it a month or I thought it was at sort a of one time thing? I'm sorry if I forgot no that.
1: I thought it, I thought it was a month. Per but month. But the thing is is yeah, but you know Let me just, I'll check maybe you, you two keep or talking three. I'll check because I thought well, it was remember. per month. I yeah. thought it was per month. And the the and the um the thought was a, a lot of this money would just uh support the unemployment insurance so people would have to file for unemployment and you would you you know you would get it through the unemployment it's well north of three million people now a million in
0: canada and three million plus in in america at least it was three million as of yesterday have implied for- Unemployment insurance, and uh, I guess those cheap TVs don't look so cheap anymore now, do we?
1: Right, <laughs> right, you know. So it's uh, one thousand two hundred dollars a month isn't going to fill, you know, f- you know, make everyone whole. Um, I thought maybe I don't think uh, it's per month. Extent- Sorry, loan- The plan is for individuals it- to get up to
0: twelve hundred bucks, married couples to get up to twenty four hundred plus an additional five hundred for each child. Uh, the size of the check of a check would diminish gradually for incomes going up and up and up but I don't think it's monthly I think it's a it's a one-off just one time yeah yeah okay I mean it, it just it's uh, don't worry I'll so go to all either. of the Russian bots in the, uh, <laughs> in the chat room to
1: get the, the true answer but I don't think it's uh, I don't think it's my all point. right so all right so let's just assume that it's it's just a one-off uh, then um, it's even worse because people are not gonna be whole and they're and it's the, the economy isn't going to just turn on once this, once the infection in your area goes away. There's going to be a, an economic echo that's probably for six months or longer. You know, once once the virus is gone, there's going to be an economic damage echo that takes place that may not heal. We may not actually see the true healing of the economy until two and a half years from now. Mm. So it really depends on how can we smash the curve or not? If we can smash it early, then we'll be able to get out of this economic doldrum um, quicker, but the longer it lasts, the harder it's going to be. And the more chance, the higher probability it is that we'll have a depression. All right. And you know, it, I, it, it just, if, if the numbers that I'm saying are going to happen, you know because of the co-mobility, the therapeutics don't work people you know the the social distance doesn't work that's worst case but if that does happen then you're you're seeing over 50% unemployment you know, or, you know it's going to take a decade or more to get out of that so um you know that's worst case and hopefully it's not worst case but $1,200 is a drop in the bucket. And it's not going to, it's not going to make people whole. And I was hoping that the government was actually going to work with banks and say, we're going to put a moratorium on people going bankrupt because that's where the, the, I think that's where the big problem is. And the, 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 uh, thought would be, you would do loan extension, not loan forgiveness, loan extension. So let's say you have if you have a um, a mortgage and you're starting to get behind because you can't go to work instead of them foreclosing on you, there's a moratorium on that and that the banks are forced to add those back months onto the loan. And then when you get reemployed, then you just start paying off the, paying off the, the mortgage. It's not like you start, you start to, uh, uh, you, you go back to work and then you're three months behind. no, no. It's just, it's reset right when you start back up to work and the, the loan is extended. And we're talking about maybe, maybe two months extension. Mm. So it's not that big of a deal to to the banks, really. So people and are just sort they of could easily. Sorry, go ahead, finish your yeah, thought. Go ahead. No, it's, they, they could easily institute that those types of policies.
0: So uh, people are saying that it's 1,200 is a one-time payment, but there, of course, are increases. Some people are saying 600 bucks a month in um, unemployment. Uh, Benefits, But, of course, you know, the government has no money. The government has, I mean, it's the beginning of political wisdom. uh, The the government has no money. Uh, It is unable to pay for anything. Uh, All it can do is steal from the future. It can steal from those who already have money through inflation. uh, And it can steal through debt. Um, You know, what I talked about was, you know, maybe stop paying interest in all the treasuries to China, saying, hey, man, you guys, uh, you botched up containing this thing. And you wouldn't let people come in to investigate, and you put in jail people who were trying to talk about it, and you kept all your airports over, so sorry, we've got to take all the money we're paying to your treasuries, and we've got to use it to pay our people who are sick because of what you did. But uh, that perhaps, uh, I know there's a lot of volatility regarding the, I'd love treasuries to become worthless, because then people would actually have to start paying their own bills rather than putting my daughter... Uh, on the slave block of the international banksters. But anyway, all right. So uh, listen, uh, Paul, just tell people where they can get a hold of your vital statistics on the internet. We'll close it down. I really want to appreciate the thousands and thousands of people who came by to watch and uh, all, all of the great questions. Uh, I will I will get a mod. I know we had a couple of couple of bots there with uh, some TNA pics. Uh, oh, wait, no, sorry, that was me. But um, <laughs> if you can uh, just uh, remind people uh, how to find your information on the internet, we'll close it down from here. And, and thanks again so much for your time. Okay, you, you can reach me
1: on my YouTube channel. That's the place that I, I promote mostly my content. And that's just Paul Cottrell. I do have a backup channel called Dr. Paul Cottrell for obvious reasons because of YouTube and its, its censorship. Um, or you can uh, go to my website. It's the studio reykjavikcom All the links are in the description in my videos. So it's really easy, just click the link, I know people don't know how to spell Reykjavik. And, <laughs> and you, and, you, know, you are and you collection. are a polymath in everything except marketing. Uh, just like you mentioned that, you know.
0: And I, know, uh, I, know. I would also like to appreciate everybody who gave the life estimates of my IQ versus Paul's IQ. Uh, very, very uh, instructive for, for everyone. But, okay, thanks, Paul. Um, hope to have you back again soon. I really, really appreciate Definitely. the work that you're doing. And uh, thanks again to everyone who dropped by. A great pleasure. Don't forget to check out my uh, debate tonight, or I'm actually on a uh, a libertarian panel tonight on uh, a a server. It's a Discord server. I'll put the link in this show. Uh, A great pleasure, my friend. Thanks again so much. And we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Appreciate it.